Welcome to episode 11 of A Course in Miracles. This is chapter 11, God or the Ego. Welcome back. My email is trifectanow3 at gmail.com. I can be reached there if you have any questions or if you want to know when the next live book club is. If we are of two minds, which this book suggests, and those minds are diametrically opposed, we in fact can be aware of spirit and function from ego. The problem that arises is once you are aware that these two thought systems are in opposition, it makes it really difficult to not pay attention to which one is functioning at any given time. Introduction is on page 193. What if we created the ego to replace God? It makes sense because we are judgmental, authoritative. We believe we created ourselves and control every aspect of it. It stands to reason we may in fact think we can replace our father and function without him. We project ourselves to one another and God extends himself to us. What if we chose to extend ourselves to one another? Extension means, and it has a lot of different meanings, but in this case it means the act of extending. How do we extend to one another? In the introduction on page 193, paragraph 1, sentence 3, says, Neither God nor the ego proposes a partial thought system. Each is eternally consistent, but they are diametrically opposed in all respects, so that partial allegiance is impossible. Remember, too, that their results are as different as their foundations, and their fundamentally irreconcilable natures cannot be reconciled by vacillations between them. Nothing alive is fatherless, for life is creation. Therefore, your decision is always to answer the question, Who is my father? And you will be faithful to the father you choose. Paragraph 3, sentence 1 says, You make by projection, but God creates by extension. The cornerstone of God's creation is you, for his thought system is light. Remember the rays that are there unseen? The more you approach the center of his thought system, the clearer the light becomes. The next page is 194. Paragraph 4, sentence 6 says, oh, sorry, sentence 5 says, I will give you the lamp and I will go with you. You will not take this journey alone. I will lead you to your true father who hath need of you as I have. Will you not answer the call of love with joy? The next section is called The Gifts of Fatherhood. I wrote, To quote a line in this chapter, To be alone is to be separated from infinity, but how can this be if infinity has no end? No one can be beyond the limitless, because what has no limits must be everywhere. Loneliness or feeling alone is a creation of the ego. How can you possibly be alone when we exist in the eternal? How can we be lonely if our Father is always there if we need him? This is a shift in perception that requires faith in the knowledge that this is the fact, this is in fact the truth. Paragraph 1 says, You have learned your need of healing. Would you bring anything else to the sonship, recognizing your need of healing for yourself? For in this lies the beginning of the return to knowledge the foundation on which God will help you build again the thought system you share with him. Paragraph 2, sentence 3 says, There are no beginnings and no endings in God. 
whose universe is himself. On the next page, 195, paragraph 5 says, The laws of the universe do not permit contradiction. What holds for God holds for you. If you believe you are absent from God, you will believe that he is absent from you. Infinity is meaningless without you, and you are meaningless without God. Sentence 10 in that same paragraph says, The universe of love does not stop because you do not see it, nor have you closed, nor have your closed eyes lost the ability to see. Look upon the glory of his creation, and you will learn the, what God has kept for you. Paragraph 6 says, God has given you a place in his mind that is yours forever, yet you keep it only by giving it as it was given you. Sentence 4 says, God's mind cannot be lessened. It can only be increased, for everything he creates is the function of creating. Love does not limit, and what it creates is not limited. To create without limit is God's will for you, because only this can bring you the joy that is his and that he wills to share with you. Your love is as boundless as his because it is his. On the next page, which is page 196, paragraph 8 says, Yet what you will, you do not know. This is not strange when you realize that you deny, that to deny is not no. Sentence 9 in that same paragraph says, Whenever what the Holy Spirit tells you appears to be cohesive, it is only because you have not recognized your will. Paragraph 9, sentence 5 says, Your will is his life, which he has given to you. Even in time, you cannot live apart from him. Sleep is not death. What he created can sleep, but cannot die. Immortality is his will for his son and his son's will for himself. Paragraph 10, sentence 3 says, You are afraid to know God's will because you believe it is not yours. This belief is your whole sickness and your whole fear. Every symptom of sickness and fear arises here because this is the belief that makes you want not to know. Paragraph 11 says, You are asked to trust the Holy Spirit only because he speaks for you. He is the voice for God, but never forget that God did not will to be alone. He shares his will with you. He does not thrust it upon you. Always remember that what he gives, he keeps, so that nothing he gives can be con can contradict him. The next part is the invitation to healing. I wrote, this section talks about the wholeness of us, that if we continue to see ourselves as separate and pieces of a whole, our healing cannot begin. To see our bodies as part of us or our ego as part of us is to say that we are fractured and not whole. The first paragraph, sentence one, says, If sickness is separation, the decision to heal and to be healed is the first step towards recognizing what you truly want. Paragraph two says, Healing thus becomes a lesson in understanding, and the more you practice it, the better teacher and learner you become. A sentence five in that same paragraph says, Every healing thought that you accept, either from your brother or in your own mind, teaches you that you are God's son. In every hurtful thought you behold, whatever you perceive it, lies the denial of God's fatherhood and of your sonship. Paragraph 3 says, And denial 
is as total as love. Paragraph four says healing is a sign that you want to make whole. And this willingness opens your ears to the voice of the Holy Spirit, whose message is wholeness. And paragraph five at the very bottom of page 197 says the Holy Spirit cannot speak to an unwelcoming host because next page, which is page 198, he will not be heard. Sentence four in that same paragraph says, think like him ever so slightly and the little spark becomes a blazing light that fills your mind so that he becomes your only guest. Paragraph six says, you will never rest until you know your function and fulfill it. For only in this can your father, can your will and your father's be wholly joined. Sentence four says, invite this knowledge back into your mind and let nothing that obscures it enter. Sentence six says, your willingness need not be perfect because his is. If you will merely offer him a little place, he will lighten it so much that you will be glad that you will gladly let it be increased. And by this increase, you will begin to remember creation. Paragraph seven says, would you be hostage to the ego, ego or host to God? You will accept only whom you invite. The next section is called From Darkness to Light. I wrote, The way from where we are to where we should be is not a difficult path, but it is a different one. It requires that we open our minds up to all possibilities and believe in the best in everyone. We need to believe that only good things are meant for us. The difficult times are here as a test, a test of our will, our faith, and our love for all. Paragraph one starts with, I'm just trying to get this back, sorry. Paragraph one starts with, when you are weary, remember you have hurt yourself. Your comforter will rest you, but you cannot. You do not know how, for if you did, you could never have grown weary. On the next page, which is page 199, at the top of the page, sentence Six says, God is very quiet, for there is no conflict in him. Conflict is the root of all evil, for being blind, it does not see whom it attacks. Yet it always attacks the Son of God, and the Son of God is you. Paragraph two says, God's Son is indeed in need of comfort, for he knows not what he does. Believing his will is not his own. The kingdom is his, and yet he wanders homeless. At home in God, he is lonely, and amid all his brother, he is friendless. Would God let this be real when he did not will you to be alone himself? Paragraph four says, the way is not hard, but it is very difficult. Yours is the way of pain, of which God knows nothing. That way is hard indeed, and very lonely. Fear and grief for your guests, and they go with you and abide with you on the way. Sentence seven in that same paragraph says, the great light always surrounds you and shines out from you. How can you see the dark companions in a light such as this? If you see them, it is only because you are denying the light, but deny them instead, for the light is here and the way is clear. Paragraph five, sentence four says, when you wander, you but undertake a journey that is not real. The dark companions, the dark way are all 
illusions. Turn towards the light, for the little spark in you is part of a light so great that it can sweep you out of all darkness forever. On the next page, which is page 200, paragraph 6 says, The children of light cannot abide in darkness, for darkness is not in them. Do not be deceived by the dark comforters, and never let them enter the mind of God's Son, for they have no place in his temple. And paragraph 8 says, In your mind you can accept the whole sonship and bless it with the light your father gave it. Then you will be worthy to dwell in the temple with him, because it is your will not to be alone. The next part is the inheritance of God's Son. The inheritance is the understanding that we are all one. That unity and acceptance is our salvation. We are all in this together. Could not be truer words spoken. But unless we truly understand what that really means, we will continue to see ourselves as part of something, not the whole. On page 200 at the bottom... Paragraph 1 says, Never forget that the sonship is your salvation, for the sonship is yourself. Sentence 4 says, You are not saved from anything, but you are saved for glory. Glory is your inheritance, given by your Creator, that you might extend it. On the next page, which is 201, paragraph 3, sentence 4 says, Would you cut off a brother from the light that is yours? You would not do so if you realize that you can darken only your own mind. As you bring him back, so will you return. This is the law of God for the protection of the wholeness of his son. Paragraph 4 says, Only you can deprive yourself of anything. Do not oppose this realization, for it is truly the beginning of the dawn of light. Remember, remember also that the denial of this simple fact takes many forms, and these you must learn to recognize to oppose steadfastly without exception. This is a crucial step in the reawakening. The beginning phase of this reversal are often quite painful, for as blame is withdrawn from without, there is a strong tendency to harbor it within. It is difficult at first to realize that this is exactly the same thing, for there is no distinction between without and within and without. Paragraph 5 says, if your brothers are a part of you and you blame them for your deprivation, you are blaming yourself and you cannot blame yourself without blaming them. Sentence 5 says, self-blame is therefore ego identification and as much an ego defense as blaming others. The next page, which is page 202, paragraph 8, blessed is the son of God whose radiance is of his father and whose glory he wills to share as his Father shares it with him. There is no condemnation in the Son, for there is no condemnation in the Father. Sharing the perfect love of the Father and the Son must share what belongs to him, for otherwise he will not know the Father or the Son. Peace be unto you who rest in God, and in whom the whole Sonship rests. The next section is called The Dynamics of the Ego. The ego has no dynamics, only delusions. We create a world we want to see, period. We attract what we want and we repel what we don't see as fit for us. 
racism, classism, sexism, all of those isms, all example of man's creations for the purpose of ego, all illusions set up to distract and separate us from the whole. Paragraph one says, no one can escape from illusions unless he looks at them for not looking is the way they are protected. Paragraph two says, what is healing but the removal of all that stands in the way of knowledge? And how can one dispel illusions except by looking at them directly without protecting them? Be not afraid, therefore, for what you will be looking at is the source of fear, and you are beginning to learn that fear is not real. On the next page, 203, at the top, sentence 5 says, The next step is obviously to recognize that what has no effects does not exist. Laws do not operate in a vacuum, and what leads to nothing has not happened. Paragraph 3 says, Let us begin this lesson in egodynamics by understanding that the, that the term itself does not mean anything. It contains the very contradiction in terms that makes it meaningless. Dynamics implies the power to do something, and the whole separation fallacy lies in the belief that the ego has the power to do anything. The ego is fearful to you because you believe this, yet the truth is very simple. All power is of God. What is not of him has no power to do anything. On that same page, paragraph 5 says, Every idea has a purpose, and its purpose is always the natural outcome of what it is. Everything that stems from the ego is the natural outcome of its central belief, and the way to undo its results is merely to recognize that their source is not natural. Being out of accord with your true nature. I said before that to will contrary to God is wishful thinking and not real willing. The next page, which is 204. Paragraph 8 says, You must recognize that the first thing the ego wishes you to realize is that you are afraid of it. For if the ego could give rise to fear, it would diminish your independence and weaken your power. On the next page, 205, paragraph 11, sentence 2 says, Only by learning what fear is can you finally learn to distinguish the possible from the impossible and the false from the true. According to the ego's teaching, its goal is, can be accomplished and God's purpose cannot. Paragraph 13 says the ego analyzes, the Holy Spirit accepts. The appreciation of wholeness comes only through acceptance, for to analyze means to break down or to separate out. On the next page, which is 206, I do not have anything. So the next section on page 207 is waking, waking to redemption. Belief is the key. If you truly believe in something, it'll be real for you. Belief determines perception. Let the Christ in you perceive for you. It only means asking and waiting for the response. Eternal life has no ending. We have no ending. Paragraph 1 says, It is impossible not to believe what you see, but is equally impossible to see what you do not believe. Perceptions are built on the basis of experience and experience leads to beliefs. It is not 
until beliefs are fixed that perceptions stabilize. In effect, then, what you believe, you do see. Paragraph 2 says, Would you join in the resurrection or the crucifixion? Would you condemn your brothers or free them? Would you transcend your prison and ascend to the Father? These questions are all the same and are answered together. There, there has been much confusion about what perception means because the word is used both for awareness and for the inter interpretation of awareness. Yet you cannot be aware without interpretation for what you perceive is your interpretation. Paragraph 3 says the course is perfectly clear. If you do not see it clearly, it is because you are interpreting against it and therefore do not believe it. And since belief determines perception, you do not perceive what it means and therefore do not accept it. Yet that different experiences lead to different beliefs and with them different perceptions. For perceptions are learned with beliefs and experience does teach. I am leading you to a new kind of experience that you will become less and less willing to deny. Learning of Christ is easy, for to perceive with him involves no strain at all. His perceptions are your natural awareness, and it, page 208, is only the distortions you introduce that tire you. Paragraph 4 says, I am your resurrection and your life. You live in me because you live in God, and everyone lives in you, and you live in everyone. Can you then perceive unworthiness in a brother and not perceive it in yourself? And can you perceive it in yourself and not perceive it in God? Paragraph 5, sentence 4 says, The God of crucifixion demands that he crucify and his worshippers obey. In his name they crucify themselves, believing that the power of the Son of God is born of sacrifice and pain. The God of resurrection demands nothing, for he does not will to take away. He does not require obedience, for obedience implies submission. He would only have you learn your will and follow it, not in the spirit of sacrifice and submission, but in the gladness of freedom. Resurrection, uh, paragraph 6 says, Resurrection must compel your allegiance gladly because it is the symbol of joy. It is whole compelling power in the fact that it represents what you want to be the freedom to leave behind everything that hurts you and humbles you and frightens you cannot be thrust upon you, but it can be offered you through the grace of God. Paragraph 7 at the very bottom says, You will not find peace until you have removed the nails from the hands of God's Son and taken the last thorn from his forehead. The love of God surrounds his Son, whom the God of crucifixion condemns. Teach not that I died in vain. Teach rather that I did not die by demonstrating that I live in you. On that page 209, paragraph 8 says, You have nailed yourself to a cross and placed a crown of thorns upon your head. Yet you cannot crucify God's Son, for the will of God cannot die. His Son has been redeemed from his own crucifixion, and you cannot assign to death whom God has given eternal life. Paragraph 9 says, you will awaken to your call, for the call to awake is within you. If I live in you, you are awake. Yet you must see the works I do through you, or you will not perceive that I have done them unto you. Do not set limits on what you believe I can do through you, or will, or you will not accept 
what I can do for you. Paragraph 10 says, God's son is saved. Bring only this awareness to the sonship and you will have a part in the redemption as value as valuable as mine. Sentence 5 says, There is no order of difficulty in miracles because all of God's sons are of equal value and their equality is their oneness. The whole power of God is in every part of him and nothing contradictory to his will is either great or small. What does not exist has no size and no measure. The next page is page 210, and that is the condition of reality. I wrote, reality is all good, no bad. When you see the bad of this world, you see your perception and not what truly is there. Release all your judgments and this world will look and be different for you. Paragraph one says the world as you perceive it cannot have been created by the father for the world is not as you see it. God created only the eternal and everything you see is perishable. Therefore, there must be another world that you do not see. The Bible speaks of a new heaven and a new earth. Yet this cannot be literally true. For the eternal are not recreated. To perceive anew is merely to perceive again, implying that before or in the in interval between, you were not perceiving at all. What then is the world that awaits your perception when you see it? Paragraph 2 says, Every loving thought that the Son of God ever had is eternal. The loving thoughts his mind perceives in this world are the world's only reality. Paragraph 3 says, The ego may see some good, but never only good. This is why its perception, perceptions are so variable. It does not reject goodness entirely, for that you could not, for that you cannot accept. But it always adds something that is not real to the real, thus confusing illusion and reality. Paragraph four says the perception of goodness is not knowledge, but the denial of the oppos opposite of goodness enables you to recognize a condition in which opposites do not exist. The next section on page 211 is the problem and the answer. I wrote, not one thought we hold is true, is wholly true. That is a huge statement. If it is in fact true, it means we cannot truly trust our thoughts. It's been my experience now that when I have a thought and it's negative, a part of me instantly questions it. This started after I read the book for the first time. Now I can barely think a negative thought. It is shot down so quickly I have no time to ponder it. On page 211, paragraph 1 says, This is a very simple course. Perhaps you do not feel you need a course which, in the end, teaches that only reality is true. But do you believe it? When you perceive the real world, you will recognize that you did not believe it. Sentence six says, and then everything you made will be forgotten, the good and the bad, the false and the true. For as heaven and earth become one, even the real world will vanish from your sight. The end of the world is not its destruction, but its translation into heaven. The reinterpretation of the world is the transfer of all perception to knowledge. 
Paragraph two, sentence three says, do not make the mistake of believing that you understand what you perceive, for its meaning is lost to you. Yet the Holy Spirit has saved its meaning for you. And if you let him interpret it, he will restore to you what you have thrown away. Paragraph three, sentence two says, not one thought you hold is wholly true. Sentence seven in that same paragraph says, perceptions are learned and you are not without a teacher. Yet your willingness to learn of him depends on your willingness to question everything you learned of yourself. For you who learned amiss should not be your own teacher. The next page, which is 212. I just highlighted at the top the little saying in between the paragraphs that says, do I want the problem or do I want the answer? Paragraph five, sentence six says the answer is both many and one. As long as you believe that the one is many, you may be afraid of his specificity for fear of what you think it will demand of you. Yet only by asking will you learn that nothing of God demands anything of you. God gives, he does not take. When you refuse to ask, it is because you believe that asking is taking rather than sharing. Paragraph 7, sentence 7 says, Blessed are you who are willing to ask the truth of God without fear. For only thus can you learn that his answer is the release from fear. I did not do anything on page 213. I'm going to go to page 214. At the top of the page, sentence four says, let the Holy Spirit remove all offenses of God's son against himself and perceive no one but through his guidance, for he would save you from all condemnation. Paragraph 13 says, children perceive frightening ghosts and monsters and dragons, and they are terrified. Yet if they ask someone they trust for the meaning of what they perceive and are willing to let their own interpretations go in favor of reality, their fear goes with them. When a child is helped to translate his ghost into a curtain, his monster into a shadow, and his dragon into a dream, he's no longer afraid and, half, and laughs happily at his own fear. And the last paragraph in this chapter, is chapter uh, paragraph 15 says, Would you not exchange your fears for truth? if the exchange is yours for the asking. And the last sentence, sentence five says, and then your father will lean down to you and take the last step for you by raising you onto himself. This is the end of the 11th chapter of A Course in Miracles. Our belief in this world and in ourselves is truly the makeup of the reality we created. If we can shift away from that perception to one that sees good in every day and in everything, we will find joy and peace in this moment. This is a journey. Hope you're finding your way. Have an incredibly awesome week. And until next week, always love, Denise.